Welcome in to the Tuesday edition of the Daily Tap. I am your host, Charlie. We are rocking and rolling on the Tapping the Keg podcast network. Daily Tap is a near-daily Wisconsin sports podcast for those who are just listening for the first time. And if you are, it's because one of our great fans has recommended this to you. Or you found us as a Packer fan, as a Bucks fan, as a Brewers fan, as a Marquette Golden Eagles fan, maybe a Badger fan. We appreciate you. If you are not subscribed, rate, review, subscribe. If you give us a rating, I will send you money. I want to send you money. No one wants to actually do a review. That's okay. Um, I need to actually promote it on the website as well. But like, let me pay you, please. Um, we also have uh, the... And maybe it's because I'm fishing for it that people, maybe I'm too thirsty. Maybe this is just like, I'm too aggressive. Like I'm like the stripper at a strip club where I'm like, are you sure you don't want to lap dance? Like I might have to, might have to calm it down just a little bit. Noted. All right. For the socials, you can follow me on uh, Twitter, tapping the keg, everything else, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, uh, at tapping the keg sports. We have a great show today. We're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers and how they handle being the favorites in the NFL. Not just the NFC, but in the NFL. We will also chat about why Bears fans insist on defending Justin Fields so much. We will also talk about COVID in the NBA, why I believe the NBA needs to adopt the NFL policy immediately. But we start with the Green Bay Packers. It's kind of awesome that I did not do a podcast last night. So I'm taping this. It's about 6.30 on Tuesday morning. I like to get the podcast up if I can for the people. So when they're driving to work or doing something in the morning, they have my podcast. But when I was going to do that yesterday, there was this whole article from Ben Solak about how there are no good teams in the NFL. And I was going to do this whole thing about why do you not want to call the Packers great, all this different stuff. I saw that Mike Florio, who is one of the probably our least favorite broadcasters, I don't know, he's a perpetual Packer troll, that he had his power rankings up uh, for this week, even though we're still getting through some of the games with the Eagles, Redskins, uh, Rams, and Seahawks all playing tonight. And he had the Packers at number one. And I was like, well, it's hard for me to be like the Packers aren't considered good by this one article when Florio has him number one as power rankings. And I don't really like power rankings, but then I went around the internet to be like, all right, is this one guy that has the Packers number one, or is it everybody? And lo and behold, everybody has the Packers at the top of their power rankings. So for Solak to say there are no good teams, which I like Ben, but you know it was a little ridiculous, and I still think it's ridiculous not to consider the Packers a good team. But what it opened my eyes with the power rankings is that the Packers are the favorites. It's not just that the Green Bay Packers are, you know, the uh, contender, their team that can get to the Super Bowl. They are the team that I think people expect to get to the Super Bowl. And that is an entirely different amount of pressure than what we've seen from years past. This is probably the first time since 2011 where people have considered the Green Bay Packers to be the favorite. The Green Bay Packers, in their championship losses against Seattle, against Atlanta, against San Francisco, 
they were never the favorite in those games. They were never considered the team to beat. All three were the home team, who were Seattle, Atlanta, San Francisco. The Packers were favored against Tampa Bay last year, but Tampa Bay was still considered, I think, the favorite because of Tom Brady. I don't think people are saying that anymore. Now, it is entirely in the moment, but the fact that they went nine, they lost nine to nothing. They lost all of their skill players. It felt like there's a lot of concern that has set in with Tampa Bay. And if you go back to my podcast in August where I said, you know, Tampa Bay brought back everybody, but there's no one really hungry for a ring. I feel like that's still the same. I feel like there is some of that as well. It looked like Tampa was going through the motions before everybody got hurt. They don't like playing New Orleans. New Orleans wanted that game so much more. They were the hungry dog in that. And Tampa just sort of quit. The Green Bay Packers, though, to bring it back to them, need to understand how to play as the favorites. It's not just, hey, we think you can contend and get to the Super Bowl. It's we think you can win the whole damn thing. I think for Green Bay, they just have to understand they have a target on their back. They know that there are going to be teams that want to upset the Packers at Lambeau Field. Whether that's San Francisco, whether that's Dallas, whether that's Arizona, they're going to want to try to beat the Packers inside the hallow halls of Lambeau Field because nothing would feel better. Now, I think it's going to be a lot different than last year because it'll be a full house. They will be on fire. Uh, The crowds this year have been great at Lambeau. I feel like there is a true home field advantage that hasn't really been there in years, and the Packer fans have been bringing it. So I expect the crowds to be loud no matter who they're playing in the divisional round and then hopefully in the championship round to get to the Super Bowl. But Green Bay cannot be tight. They cannot be nervous. I do worry a little bit about that first quarter offense for the Packers. I think if you were to like, what's the perfect combination of the Packers to lose in the postseason, you would look directly at the inability to score in the first quarter so if a team jumps out quick, like let's say they're playing San Francisco. Because right now, I think San Francisco is the second best team in the NFC. We'll do a whole like who scares you for uh, tapping the keg probably next week. I would say that's a good next week topic because then we'll, we're two weeks away. I think we can start talking about like who scares us, who doesn't. We've done that for the NBA as well. It's a fun show. Mitch and I do that, do that segment. And... Looking at it, I would say San Francisco would be the second best the second best team in the NFC and the team that I think right now scares me the most. So if San Francisco comes into Lambeau and they jump out to like a 14-0 lead on the Packers and the Packers have a special teams blunder early on, those are the type of things where all of a sudden the hole might be too big for Aaron Rodgers to climb out of. Aaron Rodgers has been known to have comebacks. Like It's not like he, it's unheard of. But the Green Bay Packers cannot keep starting slow. And I don't really understand the slow starts. I don't understand if it is a script thing. I don't understand if this is a time where Aaron Rodgers does a lot more checks, actually. And then they go more to a scripted approach in the second half. Like, why are the Packers so much better in the second half than they are in the first half? Like, we heard Peyton Manning and... Uh, I forget, what is it, Manning's play? The Manning cast, excuse me. I was like, what the, What do they call it? Yeah, the Manning cast, where Peyton was like, yeah, we don't do a ton 
at halftime. Like, we don't make any adjustments at halftime. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's just your team because looking at what the Packers have been in the second half is incredible. They just now need to bring it home in the first half. And once they do, that makes you feel a lot better. But that's the type of variable that you look at and you're like, okay, that could cost us a playoff game. Special teams, obviously. The inability to keep contained feels like another thing that could potentially be a major issue. Now, if they get Zedaria Smith back, maybe that helps. And I also think, to kind of put a bow on this, I think the part of the reason why the Packers are number one is there are two reasons. Number one is Tampa lost. Kansas City, I don't think people are ready to go there yet. I would also ask, like, the the Chargers win was a good win. I was going to say, what's your favorite Chiefs win in that stretch? But they've beat Dallas. They've beat the Chargers. So it's not like they haven't beat good teams. But I think there's still some unknowns about that offense. I know Mahomes lit it up late. But I think there are still unknowns about the offense. So that's why the Chiefs don't get the spot. And... The Buccaneers losing obviously played a a role as well. So now the Packers are there. I think they are the prohibitive favorites. We'll see if they can get it done. We'll see if they can kind of figure out how to A, sustain this so they can get the number one seed and B, understand there's a huge target on their back. I think they're going to be ready for it. I don't have any concerns. Just the times have changed a little bit. Staying to football, but moving on to Justin Fields. The Chicago Bears fans are passionate. I don't think there's anything that we can dispute about Chicago sports fans and Bears fans in general. They are a passionate bunch of motherfuckers. There was full house at Soldier Field yesterday, even though the Chicago Bears are out of the playoffs, even though everybody hates Matt Nagy, and they, they just want to watch Justin Fields. I think that's the lure of going to a Bears game at this point. And if you're a fan, you're like, I want to watch Justin Fields. That's the guy I want to watch. Maybe want to get his jersey. I I definitely want to say, like, I was there for his rookie year. Now, Justin Fields has really struggled to start the season. He has not been that good through nine games. He's been put in the same categories as Matt Barkley, Josh Rosen, for Jimmy Clausen, guys who've had similar rookie seasons. That is not good at all. And I quote tweeted that out, which was an article from Kevin Seifert, and a lot of Bears fans got mad at me. So a lot of great engagement, honestly. And I thought about it a little bit, and I'm like, well, why do you guys care so much? It's just an article. There, so one guy was like, well, what about uh, Trevor Lawrence and, and Zach Wilson? I think he called them T-Law. I was like, it's not who the article's about. If the article was about those guys, I'd be like, absolutely. Let's, let's have that conversation. But the concern about Justin Fields is I think the Bears fans are so protective of him because they can't be wrong again. Like if the Bears are wrong about Justin Fields, I, I don't know what that does to the franchise. I really don't. Like I, I hate to sound dramatic, but they thought they had something with Mitch Trubisky. Get rid of Mitch Trubisky, mostly because I think Matt Nagy and him did not have a great relationship. I think that Nagy caused a lot of the friction between Trubisky and the team. So Trubisky now is the backup for the Buffalo Bills, just cashing checks. But that did not work out. It was a number two pick, and now that guy is a backup somewhere else. He's not even a backup for your team. He was the number two overall pick, and he can't get on the football field. 
that is what we call a bust at this point. I'm not ready to say that about Justin Fields. Absolutely not. Justin Fields deserves another full year before we make that designation. And Justin Fields also deserves a better coaching staff. Whether that's Ryan Day, who has been rumored for the Bears job, or someone else that is an offensive mastermind where they can make sure that Fields has all the opportunities to succeed. I agree with those Bears fans who are like, he didn't have any weapons. I think that's partial. Eh, I would say that's mostly true. Allen Robinson was seemingly hurt all year. Jimmy Graham is a corpse. Cole Clement, I think, has not developed in the player they hoped he would. He's just a big body, but he kind of has stone hands, or as my friend Seth would like to say, hammers for hands. So I, I'm not huge on Cole Clement. Trevin Jenkins might be something at left tackle. He looked pretty good against Minnesota yesterday. That, to me, is the first step forward. It's like, all right, if Jenkins actually looks good and you can say, all right, this guy's are going to be left tackle or right tackle, then you start building the roster from there. I think the, it would behoove the Bears to go get a receiver. I'm not saying become the Ohio State Bears, but it's obvious there are a couple of Ohio State guys available. So if a Chris Olave falls to the second round, because Bears do not have a first-round pick, go get Chris Olave. I don't think Grant Wilson will fall. I think you'll have to trade up for him. But there could be an opportunity for the Bears to find themselves in the early second round with a wide receiver that helps out Justin Fields. That gives Justin Fields that opportunity to build a relationship with. I think him and Mooney have one. I think Allen Robinson, because of the injuries, and I think Allen Robinson has been checked out since week five, that you don't have that relationship. But they need to get better. You can't acknowledge that Justin Fields has struggled this year. You can use Matt Nagy as an excuse. I, I would probably do the same if Jordan Love through the first five nine games looked awful. I would blame something else. But at the end of the day, even though Matt Nagy is on the sidelines and he does a lot, it's not Matt Nagy's fault that Justin Fields holds on to the football too long. It's not his fault that Justin Fields has an occasional fumble or a really bad pick six. Shout out to Sewell. I'm not entirely like down with this idea that if, if Nagy wasn't there, that Fields would be cooking right now. That Fields would be putting them towards a playoff spot. I, I just can't buy into that. Justin Fields is, could be a good player, but this was not the rookie year that I think anybody wanted. And if you want to be positive about it, no one really had a good rookie year that was drafted last spring. The only thing that would probably happen is that there would be a redraft with Mac Jones going near the top, even though it's all system-based of why Mac Jones is playing so well. But Fields has a mountain now to climb. He has some haters. He's going to hear them this offseason. Can he prove them wrong with an amazing second season? We've seen many quarterbacks come through with a good second season after a rough rookie campaign. But if Fields doesn't work, it is back to the drawing board yet again for the Chicago Bears. And they will continue to have to wait for a savior. But my guess is the Bears will wait at least another year before they start having that real conversation 
the same real conversation they had about Mitch Trubisky. Wrapping up the show today with a little COVID talk, the NBA is still dealing with a lot of their COVID problems. Their guys going into health and safety protocols, it feels like, every day. I think Gary Trent Jr. was the candidate for yesterday. And I'm really mad about the COVID stuff. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I think the fact the Bucs are 0-2 because of it. They've lost their last two games. They lost to New Orleans. They lost to Cleveland. And Cleveland now is ahead of the Bucs in the, in the Eastern standings. And I'm like, well, we don't get those games back. And COVID just robbed us of two wins. Who knows who's going to be back on, on Wednesday. I hope Middleton's back. I hope that they're going to get a few more dudes back. But yeah, if you lose to Houston or you lose to Dallas and now you've lost four games really because of the COVID pause, that's not fair. Now, I'm not going to scream and shout because I understand they're trying to keep people safe and all this stuff. I get it. But we have to start treating the vaccinated asymptomatic people as such. If you're asymptomatic and you're vaccinated, it is not that big of a deal because you are vaccinated. All right. And there in that will help. I do think that the NBA should carbon copy exactly what the NFL is doing because the NFL is, is moving in the right direction. The NFL is decreasing testing for the asymptomatic. The asymptomatic are not necessarily feeling any sort of any sort of effects to what COVID is. And Omicron is more of a respiratory thing. It's less of, you know, losing your smell, losing your taste, being achy. So it feels like a really bad cold. And I don't know, I don't feel like you should have the NBA decimated because a few guys who are asymptomatic test positive. And I think the NBA's lack of transparency really doesn't help. One thing that the NFL does better than the NBA is they tell us straight up like, hey, this person tested positive for COVID. They don't say, hey, this person's a close close contact. They tested positive for COVID. Now, sometimes they're like, he goes to COVID list, such as like a Travis Kelsey or a Jared Goff. But he doesn't, and it's not mentioned if they're vaccinated or not. I would assume they are because they didn't say, oh, they're going to have to miss a game like they did with Joey Bosa. Joey Bosa, obviously not a vaccine guy. I think no one is shocked by that. And Joey Bosa is going to miss Sunday's game because he tests positive. So they they let us know that. So why are the rules the exact same in the NBA for vaccinated and unvaccinated players? Shouldn't the rule be if you're vaccinated, you test positive, it's a 10-day health and safety protocol, which Giannis could have had happen. We don't know. And that's the frustrating thing. Like we do not have any sort of idea of what's going on in the NBA. And that's ridiculous. We should expect more. And, and the journalists, the Woj, the Shams, Windhorse, they all lapdog the NBA. They all are like, okay, yeah, please give me more. Please give me more news. Instead of kind of pushing back and being like, all right, does Gary Trent, who, te- who went into health and protocol yesterday, does Gary Trent really have like COVID or is he just asymptomatic and was around some people? That, to, that drives me nuts. We even know more in the M- in the NCAA where what seems to be happening a lot in these NCAA situations is kids aren't feeling well. 
They're likely unvaccinated. They go to the trainer or vaccinated or unvaccinated. They go to the trainer. Trainer looks them out. They test them for COVID. They pop positive. And then everybody's really considered a close contact. And then the game is off. And part of the reason why Memphis uh, did not play Tennessee, which is a really big rivalry in the state of Tennessee, is two players tested positive, but because they had four unvaccinated players, they immediately did not have the numbers to compete. Now, I am 100% for people having their choice. I know a lot of people hate that. A lot of people are like, you should just get vaccinated. Look, I'm not disagreeing with you. I would advocate for everybody to go get vaccinated. I think you're only helping yourself. I think there are so many people who get COVID who are unvaccinated, and then when they have it, they're like, God, I just wish I would have been vaccinated. Wish I would have just listened. And unfortunately, we've made it a government issue, we've made it a political issue where the government is basically trying to shame the unvaccinated, which is so fucking wrong. It's so wrong. It's not helping. No, no one who's unvaccinated is going to read that memo from the White House and be like, all right, I'm going to go get vaccinated. Of course not. So that's where I think you have to start talking to these people in some sort of fashion and get them to understand it's not their government telling them to do it. It's not. It, it's just about how can you make sure that if you catch COVID with a very contagious spread right now, how can you make sure that you're kind of serving it as a stopgap? That's what you want to do. I think there was a doctor who had like the Swiss cheese defense and is like, as the disease keeps penetrating, how many slices of cheese do you have? And the vaccine helps prevent getting to its end game and really infecting you. So that's the importance. I, I didn't mean to go on like a three or four minute thing. I, I didn't. I'm more just want to explain to everybody why it matters. I think right, left, they're all telling you to do it. So it's not a political issue, even though the government, the current government has tried to sort of make it into a bigger issue than it needs to be. So back to the NBA. The NBA needs to stop with the testing. They need to stop testing asymptomatic people. The NCAA needs to do the exact same. There's no reason to test anyone who doesn't develop symptoms. If they have symptoms and they and their team doctors can define what symptoms are too, by the way. And if they're like, all right, our, our symptoms are a dry throat, a runny nose, a cough. If you have any of those symptoms, we'd like to get you tested. That's all you got to say. And if you don't have them, you keep playing. Now, some people are like, well, these guys would go be hesitant to go to the doctor and they won't go to the trainers and say, oh, I'm not feeling well. Because they're like, I don't want to test positive for COVID and be the guy that got our game canceled. Understand that and hopefully they think more about themselves than the team in this situation. It's okay to be selfish here. It's a wild, wild road, but the NBA has failed themselves. The NBA having postponements is really bad for the league. And the fact that a lot of the, the premier players that you have playing on Christmas Day might not be there is really, really rough. The NBA needs to figure this out sooner rather than later. And it seems like Adam Silver is content to let it play out. But I would imagine if if there are a couple more Christmas Day guys that miss, Silver is going to be spurned into action. 
All right, that does it for today's show. Back tomorrow, I think, with Mitch. Uh, it's having the cag. If not, you'll have me. And then we'll be back Thursday. And then not no Friday show because of Christmas Eve. No Saturday show, obviously, because of Christmas Day. And then on Sunday or Monday, I haven't decided yet, uh, we'll have a recap of both the Bucks, Celtics and the Packers and Browns. And then the following week, we'll, we'll figure that out when we get there. All right. Take care, guys. Have yourself a great Tuesday. We'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.